Byer here, welcoming you to Season 3. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing! Listeners, have you heard my most recent interview with J.M. Fortier? Did you know that he started an awesome new venture called Growers and Company, where they have a magazine that's printed that comes out twice a year that highlights the amazing farmers that he's taught personally. So you're going to learn from people who are practice, putting his practices into place on their farms. If you want to be a better farmer, you definitely want to subscribe to this magazine. That's going to be like a coffee table item on your shelf. And then the other thing, part of Growers and Company is there, he's created tools that he uses on his farm that he's like studied. You know, he got to travel all around the world when he wrote his book, The Market Gardener. If you don't have that, you absolutely have to get a copy of it. But he's he's he got to go travel to all these farms and then he would look at tools that they had in the hardware stores or using in these other farms, brought them back to his farm, you know, talked to a developer, came out with some really cool tools. Like he talks about his broad fork. The handles are just wood and that helps it make it light, but it's sturdy. It's just the exact kind of broad fork that I want. Um they've got other really cool weeders and different things. And then he's got farmware that he designed that will keep you dry and keep you out there. I know with my, one of my big barriers was my garden shoes. So he's got boots and just great things that are stylish, comfortable, but most of all, they're going to keep you warm and dry when you're out in your garden doing all that hard work. So growers and company growers.co check it out get something for your favorite gardener definitely get a small scale farmers are changing the world t-shirt for your favorite farmer marker vendor do you belong to a csa i'll bet you want to get them a christmas present this year it doesn't have to be on time i know it might be late when you're hearing this but Make sure you support growers.co. Um, their stuff is super affordable. The Canadian exchange right now. Um, I just bought something for someone, um, a present for Kathy from the composters because I go to her laughter yoga with her. And I think it said it was like $25 and then, it, but it only took $20 out of my bank account. So I, I probably shouldn't be talking about the Canadian exchange, but I know his things are affordable. I research broad forks and what they cost. I, you know, it, it's a great deal. You will get so much use out of that tool. Um, so support growers and co join the amazing Patty Armbruster and I Saturday mornings, 9am Montana standard time, 11am Eastern, 8 am pacific for grow live on youtube patty armister is going to ask your questions you can submit them ahead of time and we'll be prepared with the answers uh what do you want to know we're starting out talking about selecting seeds but she's going to answer everything from how to process local meats to you know what pests are good or you know, what plants are good to bring in beneficial insects into your garden. Just, we all know Patty knows so much about everything. I'll be asking the questions. She'll be answering them. We're going to be doing this on YouTube live Saturday mornings, 8 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Montana standard time, 
10 Central, 11 Eastern, Saturday mornings on YouTube, Grow Live with Patty and Jackie. It was so much easier. Um, but then in January, uh, there was like an up to, I don't know, long story. I just got my Skype back. But anyway, oh. I was talking to her on Skype and just as we're about to hang up, she's like, now you're sure nobody can see me? <laughs> You're on a phone. There's no camera. How can I... <laughs> the poor thing? She was so forever oh, <laughs> to convince her to do it. And poor thing, I could just imagine her all the other day. I had a woman, and she, I was like, oh, I hope she didn't get all dressed up for this. No, we're not doing video. <laughs> I was like, I to don't be honest, do video. I didn't know if we were gonna do video or not. So just in case, I like um, patted my beard down a little bit. I was like. <laughs> I but yeah I works better for me. I know video is big, but I d- I can't deal with this. I can barely handle the podcast files. Like they just bog down my computer and just maneuvering them. And I don't know how people do video. And I thought about trying to go there in the fall because a lot of people were bugging me about it. And it is a gardening show, but mm-hmm. I'm just not. And I'm sticking with the podcast. It's been successful, and so. Maybe I'm an old timer at um, the ripe old age of 28, but I think podcasts are just fine. <laughs> uh, awesome. You are a millennial. I love that. Yeah. So I'm writing this book called Rockstar Millennials about the awesome kids I interview on my show. Oh, wow. So 28, what does that mean? You're born in 92? Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm looking for people in 94 and 95, if you know any of them. Um, uh, my my brother, but he has to start gardening. But after that, <laughs> you can interview him. <laughs> so, well, maybe he has a friend or somebody you can think of. Uh, well, we do have a farmer training program here with a lot of people from that age demographic coming through. So, cool. maybe someone that can yeah. come in. Um. So, Beeler, I do like to tell all my guests at the beginning, it is super easy to edit. So, if you need to get a drink or let the dog out or you want to change an answer or think about something, like, we are not live. Don't hesitate to put me on hold. Like, take your, you know, you have plenty of room for that kind of thing. And then, do you have any questions for me? Um, I don't really think so. I, I guess, um... Now, I I have, like, a, a garden. I, I guess you would call it more of, like, a, a garden. But then I work on um, Rodale, which is, you know, an organic farm. So I guess, should I shy away from, like, more of the farming stuff and just talk more, like, garden-level No. Conversations? No? Okay. Just share whatever you want to share whatever feels good whatever seems to match the questions and just whatever you think my so even though you're probably like interview 353 maybe somewhere in there i still get nervous off my script but my listeners from the very beginning were like jackie don't be so stuck to your script let your listeners (laughs) let your guests talk so i do mute my mic so sometimes there's kind of a delay if i lose the button somehow (laughs) (laughs) which happens a lot with zoom like i'll be like looking at something you're talking about on your website or i'll be taking notes and all of a sudden i'm like where's the button Mm -hmm. um to unmute my mic so sometimes there's a little delay between when i jump back in but i do that one so i won't interrupt unless it's super important and also just so there's no background noise um okay for my house so i'll introduce and we'll go from there because unfortunately i do have 
I mean, it's good for me that I have back-to-back interviews because it lets me batch, but I do have another one starting at 12 okay, and, um, and we'll probably go right to that. Like I just hung up and just started the meeting <laughs> with my last guest. So uh, here we go. All right. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Friday, December 4th, 2020, but it'll probably be 2021 when you hear this because it's season three. I have an amazing guest on the line. He's a rock star millennial and <laughs> he's here from the Rodale Institute. So, oh my goodness, Beeler lost your last name. Welcome to the show, Beeler Lansden. Lansden. Yeah. Welcome, Beeler. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. Well, go ahead and tell listeners a little bit about yourself. Are you from Pennsylvania? Is that where you're at? Um, I am in Pennsylvania at the at the minute. Yes, I am originally from Louisiana, um, but I moved here for the Rodale Institute main campus, which is in Kutztown, Pennsylvania. So, how did you get there? How did you get that job? I um I started out here as a intern. Um, on a like beginning beginning farmer training program, um, I was working at an extension um, station in Louisiana after my master's degree, and I loved it. Um, it was like more horticultural style, um, but I just it wasn't where my heart was. Um, so I decided to make a jump and started a farmer training internship. And that's exactly why I love millennials because look at you, you're 28, you already have a master's and you're working at Rodale's. Yeah, um, I mean, it, I don't know, it just felt like the best way for me to actually get involved in what I wanted to. I, I thought that I wanted to go more of like the policy route um, to do with agriculture, but I, I guess I was just like, um, biding my time and going into a lot of debt with a master's degree to realize that all I wanted to do was be a farmer. <laughs> Which is, it, it all worked out in the end. Cool. I'm always telling my grandkids, master's before marriage, master's before marriage. <laughs> yeah. I just really, I just really want my master's. I wanted to get my master's and work for um Rodale the publishing company in New York I'm like I dreamed about working for organic gardening for years oh yeah that was honestly like part of where I started too I remember like picking up that magazine when I was a little kid um and flipping through it and I don't know I didn't even know what I was doing at the time but it was just fun it was just like a little escape for me so speaking of being a little kid, Beeler, I always start my show asking about your very first gardening experience. So were you a kid? Who were you with? And what were you growing? <laughs> At one point I was a kid, yes. And I, I mean, um, were you a kid when you started gardening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some people would still say I'm a kid, but I um I was a kid when I started gardening because my mother was an avid like herb gardener. Um, and it may be a stretch to call her an herbalist, but she was just kind of like a armchair herbalist. Um, she had a huge herb garden and we created all kinds of different concoctions for our own, like quote unquote medicine out of them. 
So I like started helping her with that whenever I was really young. We didn't really do many vegetables, but um, it definitely like helped me get my feet wet in the whole gardening experience for sure. So what do you grow at Rodale's? Um, well, we have a very diverse um, campus here. So part of it is like the farmer training program and part of it is research. And the research side has row crops. So all of your typical corn, soy, wheat, etc. And then they also have a vegetable systems trial, which um, has like sweet corn, butternut squash, um, romaine lettuce. Um, I'm definitely missing something, but yeah, they do like a series of different vegetables. Oh, green beans. They do a series of different vegetables um, just to do like a side-by-side organic versus conventional. And then the um, ASC program, which is like part of the farmer training program, does um, a wide variety of vegetables for a CSA. What part do you specifically work in? Well, I started as um, an ASC intern, which is the farmer training program. Sorry if that gets kind of confusing. It's just like the ASC, um, ASC Agricultural Supported Communities is the name of our farmer training program. Um, so I started as an intern inside that, and I worked in that for a little under two years. And I just started my new position as a um, livestock and field technician. So honestly, right now, most of my time is spent with the livestock, which I know that's not the subject of this uh, podcast. No, but... I was just going to say, cool, <laughs> let's hear about that. Yeah, I mean, that's where I guess I would say the majority of my heart lies. Um, I've been working with livestock since I was a kid as well. I just always had an interest in it. I started in FFA Young um, with poultry and swine. And that's exactly what we do here. We have a pasture poultry um, barn and we also have um, pastured layers, pastured meat birds and turkeys. So I work with all of that and then on the technician side for the field, I'm called off um, just to do field work, like field prepping, planting, et cetera. But I, I guess we haven't really talked a lot on my show, at least not recently, about the benefits to having livestock to growing crops and food and to the land. And then I was just like, interview number one for season three that's gonna launch on January 1st is with Daniel Mays. I don't know if you, I think his name is Mays. He just wrote a book called The No-Till Vegetable Farmer, The No-Till Vegetable Gardener, okay. No-Till Organic Vegetable. Anyway, he, and he talked about him and his wife have been on a farm in Southern Maine for about seven years mm. and they, they just had their second baby. So they just got rid of their livestock. Okay. Looking at his book and then talking like, like, but I haven't had a guest on in a while talk about 
what are the benefits to gardening? Like, why would you have, and maybe it also is like, I am so in love with my chickens this year. Like <laughs> usually my husband takes care of the chickens, but yeah. this year it's kind of fallen on me. And like, I just like, even last night, just going to get them some fresh straw and like tending them to every day. Like that is maybe it's because of COVID and I'm yeah. home and doing that more just like, I am like, I, I, I remember last night, I'm like, I can't believe I am doing this. Like it's so, I grew up in New York, like 20 miles outside of New York city. Like, even though I've lived in Montana, it's just so not me to be doing yeah. this. And <laughs> anyway, I'll be quiet. Tell us about, tell yeah. us about that. Um, well, I think I'm sure, you know, like just by having chickens and being a gardener, like just small scale like layer production has such great benefits for your garden because you have like these amazing little compost machines like running around at all times well i do always say we have the chickens for the manure and the eggs are just the bonus yeah i mean like their their excrement is just like this amazing amendment that you always have right there and you like if especially you're working with a small scale flock like you either have them in your compost or you're taking out the litter and putting it into your compost and also they can take like so much of your waste and convert it into um manure like and that's also their feed i i love it like that's just the way that i worked um before i started here for so long i had my raised vegetables, raised vegetable garden beds, and then I had my little flock of chickens. And it was just like so symbiotic because um, anything that I didn't need from the garden went right into the chickens and then all the manure went right back into the garden. And then obviously when you scale that up, um, it keeps going, you know, all of the swine manure that we have goes straight into our composting facility and then makes beautiful compost. Well, tell me a little bit about pigs because I don't know anything about them. <laughs> I I love pigs. <laughs> I really do. Um, some people may think that doesn't make sense because I also eat a lot of pig, but I just I I don't know. I I it makes sense to me in my brain. Um, but I just love them because just the same way as chickens, they are like nature's great recycler. I mean, I'm not saying that we don't feed them like typical corn and soy. Um, we do give them a like balanced ration of grains, but like they can also take so much of what we don't want and convert it into nutritious meat for us as well as um, manure for great compost. And also just like being around them and their personalities is really fun it like enriches my life a lot um and i i don't know i'm just really glad that our ancestors put in such great work to domesticating these animals and um breeding them and passing them down to us are pigs smarter than chickens because i gotta say my chickens <laughs> even though the one thing about them that amazes me so we had a grizzly bear tear apart our chicken coop and until it's like fixed and we get electric wire up, like it's probably not going to be until next spring now. Um, I actually put them in like little cat carriers and they sleep in my bathroom every night. And 
they they go in there like the the mama chicken kind of like there was a little baby that survived the chicken the grizzly bear attack we had two i had just gotten two babies to replace the last batch of chickens that the grizzly bear got that we have had chickens for 27 years and until two years ago we've never had a problem and now Mm -hmm. it's like the fish wildlife and parks keep saying we'll bring you electric fencing like they're just like there's too many chicken people i guess up here and the bears gotta taste i don't know what's going on so anyway but but just that she likes to go into that little cage and carry it up to the house and the little baby chicken that we had for like a month before we got the mama he like sits on my shoulder like he'll watch me watch work on my computer like he sits in the house i call him he because i wasn't sure and he he looked like a little eagle but it's actually a female hen but (laughs) i'm like so she has such personality but meanwhile they are like they have like like my dog is a puppy and she drives me crazy doing her puppy things but she's super smart but that is the only thing the chickens do is they climb in their cage when it starts getting dark yeah i used to really shy away from this debate of like who was smarter but i'm sorry i just don't think chickens are very smart (laughs) i love them but i just don't i don't know if i would rank them high on the intelligence scale um, I love them though. They're very endearing and they do great work. Like I'm wondering, like we finally like the the first bear that came in, like literally shoved the roost so hard through a piece of plywood, my husband couldn't get out. Now somehow he finally got it out the other day, and we finally set the roost back up. And I'm like, I came in last night. I'm like, do you think I literally am gonna have to put those chickens on that roost so they know how to use it? Because it's been <laughs> like four days now and they still haven't used it. And like I had to teach them like how to get into the house once we fixed the back wall because they've been living in the pen most of the summer and we hadn't really dealt with the chicken house. And my husband just had so much to do this year. Like he mm-hmm. just couldn't get to it and um and still hasn't got to it. Plus I guess we need some supply. I don't know, it's kind of a money thing he yeah. was saying too. So anyway. I find yeah, but tell me are... about pigs. Are pigs oh. smarter than? <laughs> I think that pigs are oh, like pretty intelligent um, just because they, I don't know, they, they're social animals. They, um, they're social animals, but they also are independently minded. Um, they, like, I don't know if you've ever been around a flock of sheep or a herd of cattle, but it's, very hard to move pigs. I shouldn't say very hard. It's just not as easy. They don't really flow. Um, it takes a little extra work. And that's because I believe they have like their, they have more of an individual mindset. Um, they Like they're are, harder to move than sheep or cattle? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, now, to be fair, I don't have a lot of experience with either. I mean, I have worked on dairies um but like just getting cattle into milking is so much easier than like getting pigs from one place to another um the great thing though is that they are very inspired by their stomachs so just like you know if you have a a pig that's even a tiny bit hungry um even though if it's just been fed it could still be hungry and you want it to go from one place to another food was definitely the way to get it there um, but yeah, they, I have this one pig that is incredibly intelligent to me because I have this little latch on her door to open it to feed her. And it's a pretty 
heavy gate that I have to like pull up and out to open. And she watches me undo the latch. And then she opens, lifts up the gate, opens it for me. I go in there, put the feed in, and then she goes back in and eats. And then I close the gate. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. She, she is also, you know, can be incredibly mean and stubborn, but I feel like that's also part How of How big is confident. she? Uh, she is almost 700 pounds. Uh, oh. she, she, she is a very, very big pig. <laughs> if she wanted to do me in, she could do me in. Oh, <laughs> uh, but now don't pigs do something to like, if you let like do you have them out in pasture land like isn't there something about like their feet like churning the soil yeah um i think that in a really well-managed system they can be great impactors um but i do want to say though you have to watch it and you have to be up on your game with managing them um because i've had a group of pigs out in a pasture for about two weeks and it's just a moonscape now um but that can be a good service to you if that's what you want because now they've pretty much like prepared the ground in a way for you to go into to make gardens um to put new seed down and that's what we do a lot here is uh we let them tear up a place and then we put seeds down for what we desire in the ground. Um, we did something interesting this past summer where we uh, no-till planted corn into a pasture that was mostly clover. The corn came up and then we ran the pigs through the corn. The pigs ate the corn and then left it um, in certain portions like a moonscape and then we no-tilled rye into it for the winter and we're gonna do something with that pasture next season. So they can be, if you manage them right, amazing tools. Um, Wait, I feel like I missed something there. You planted the corn for like, corn for like pig feed and they just went yeah. in and ate it? Yeah, yeah. So we, um, we planted the corn and then we sectioned portions off and fence. Uh, we lit them into the corn and they, they so you didn't even have to at. harvest the corn? Like No, they... no. Yeah, they they know where it's at. Um, they do these fun, like, different maneuvers to try to get the corn stock down. They'll, like, body slam it or, like, kind of <laughs> half climb up the, the stock to get to it. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's not, like, a complete and total feed for them. They They can't just eat straight corn, but it does, like, supplement a huge portion of their feed by doing that and it's fun for them i mean they they look great out there they're very happy you know i'm like do you have like a rodale pig instagram feed like they have their own channel <laughs> no but i'm actually <laughs> thinking about it um <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so cool that's great um okay we probably should get to one of the regular questions i guess oh, yeah gardening. was there anything else here that we like didn't hit on that i where um, are we at with our questions let's see well tell us about something that grew well this year okay well um so just like a little 
uh, snippet into my life is that cool. uh, this this past summer, I was really heavy handed in the CSA program here. So I, you know, did a wide variety of vegetables, but then I also had my little gardening space. Um, so I, I grew some fun things in my little raised beds. Um, one thing that I was really proud of this year was I grew a walking stick kale or Jersey cabbage, um, which is this variety of kale slash cabbage from the Isle of Jersey in Great Britain. Um, and it grows really tall. And this one was, it. I just measured it before I got on the podcast. It was almost seven feet tall. So that was like a win for me. Um, supposedly they can get even taller though, but I am working on that next year to get even bigger. Um, my purple sweet potatoes did pretty well. I was happy about that. I just had one for lunch. Um, what else did well? Hmm. I think those are, are the purple high- sweet potatoes. Any like, cause well, I'm in a really cold climate. Would they do better here than the regular sweet potatoes? Um, unfortunately for a cooler climate, they might even do worse. Uh, it's okay, kind good to know. It's kind of pushing them here just because they need a longer season to grow out. So Um, I don't get as many purples as I do my like typical Beauregards and Covingtons and Orleans and all those, those orange ones. Um, It's worth it for me though. It's fun. And to be honest, I, I kind of prefer the flavor and the texture. They're not as sweet. And sometimes I don't want like a super sugary bomb that I feel like the orange sweet potatoes are. Um, I love the orange sweet potatoes, but sometimes it's just nice to not have something that's like super sugary and gushy. Uh, You disagree? (laughs) Well, no, but I was just thinking like, why wouldn't you just a regular potato then? Like, because to me, sweet potato, maybe it's because they're so hard for us to grow that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I hear that you. to I me just, is a lot of the reason why I like those, but I have a sweet tooth. Yeah, I hear you. I just think that I like the, I like the sweet potato flavor that it gives me. It had does have. And a little I think bit they have more nutritional value. Yeah, I I don't know exactly, but I'm, I I don't want to hate on the normal potato, but I think that sweet potatoes probably do have more nutrition. I know they definitely have more vitamin A. Yeah, and then the purple ones are loaded with the anthocyanins, so that's all good. Nice. Well, it's all about variety. Yeah. Uh, well, what's something you're excited to do different next year? Do you have something new you want to try? Um, I want to conquer Brussels sprouts. I cannot. <laughs> I cannot do it. Um, I've been trying for years now, and I just I can't get it there. Um, I got the furthest I ever had this year, um, but you know they're still out there. We've had a series of frosts, um, but I just I don't think that they're gonna make it. They're not gonna they're not gonna bulb up or whatever. They're not gonna make their little heads. So I'll try again next year. Did you cut the top off? Yes. And I think I might have done it a little bit too early. And I think I also made the mistake of I took 
too many of the side leaves off like not the buds but like the actual leaves on the side I think I took too many of them off because I had pretty heavy cabbage looper damage this farm has Uh, uh, like a lot of the cabbage loopers and I just was taking them off because they were getting torn up and I wasn't keeping on top of them with any sprays and yeah um probably a mistake but try again next year well that might segue right into tell us about something that didn't go so well is that the cabbage looper problem yeah yeah um i failed with my rutabagas my um watermelons and my brussels sprouts and that is the other thing the the watermelons they didn't grow well again and I those are the two things I keep trying and I haven't really mastered it I did get some watermelons some lovely little um yellow fleshed watermelons but they just weren't really sweet and they're really seedy so I'm gonna try again next year I'm gonna try to um amend the soil a little bit more and just keep on top of watering them and keep on top of um any possible sprays for fungal infections because that took them down this year i know the inorganic were pretty limited but i'll try something did uh what was i gonna say just on the tip of my tongue i'll I'll think about it (laughs) oh do you do a soil test i don't like, how do you decide what to amend them with? Um, now, we do soil tests for the whole farm. Um, and from those tests, we decide what to amend them with. But for my little gardens, I uh, just practice uh, pretty much like your lazy no-till gardener methods, um, where I just put layers of compost, kind of like the Charles Dowding way. Um, and that works fine for me but maybe I should start giving them a little more effort if I want to get good products out of them. It's just kind of, you know, it's my side hobby. So I try not to put too much effort into it, but I'm sure that a a soil test would definitely benefit for sure. I'm right in the middle of reading. um, There's this woman, Nicole Masters, who wrote this book called For the Love of Soil. And um, she kind of has like, I just did an interview with her, was it last spring already and uh and she talks about these five things to you know fixing your soil whatever one of them is mindset um but also but in the back of her book she has this thing where you use like a bricks uh, a refractometer and then mm. she bases a lot of what you do to your soil based on your bricks levels which is really interesting that is interesting and i've heard a little bit about that and I think that we, as an institution, are starting to get into that. Slowly. Because I think it has to do with what that Daniel May says about, because um, I think he does it too, is that it's more like, instead of doing a soil test that tells you your chemistry of your soil, it's more like telling you your biology of your soil. Like, I finally got a soil test last year, and the place that we sent it to, we even resent the sample back, but whatever lab she's using, like, I still have never gotten, they've never told us what our organic matter number was. Hmm. 
And so, um, so we don't know that. Our pH, I think, was like a 7.6 on the first test and an 8.3 on the second test. Hmm. Um, but we still don't know what our organic matter was. But we did, I did buy one of the refractometers and we measured, we compared carrots and the carrot from the store, the bricks level was like a zero. <laughs> Yeah. And Mike's level was like a nine. No way. Um, I think part of the cure was like it had been sitting in my refrigerator since June. And this was like in October when we did it or late September or something. Mm. Um, so that, you know, I could see. But still, that was just crazy. Like zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that is wild. But that makes that makes complete sense to me, though, especially with things like carrots. Carrots are always the thing. It's like. When you get them out of the ground, they're crazy sweet. Like good organic carrots straight from the farm. And they have all that like, um, that perfume, that carrot-like perfume. Uh, We just harvested some of our last carrots the other day. And the mashed potatoes we had at Thanksgiving that were like potatoes we dug up like a couple of days before Thanksgiving. And I could not believe the difference in the taste. It was just so incredible after they'd sat in the ground, that little bit of extra. And maybe like we'd already had a couple of freezes and just uh, so good. And the carrots were like giant. They were like the size of a potato. Oh, wow. It was it was I, cool. They were volunteers that had come up from the year before. So my husband's carrot? like all into this volunteer thing now. Yeah, <laughs> he had like a you know it could have been a whole bed of carrots mm-hmm. that had just he just uh, he just had so much going on last year it was crazy and just couldn't keep up with everything. Like his whole mini farm didn't quite. I bought eighty five potato plants, seed potatoes or something or eighty five mm-hmm. pounds so we had like five hundred potato plants <laughs> we have like potatoes coming out the kazoo and just, <laughs> we just finally donated a bunch to the thrift store the food pantry and just um they've been like sitting in buckets in my in my kitchen and on the porch and he has like we don't have a root cellar so they're in the pump house and just trying to figure out what to do with all these potatoes to say nothing of everything else and just uh i actually finally like signed up for to get some woofers to come out here and we had all sorts of people that wanted to come but we don't have like a separate place for them to stay and with covid i just right they ended up not coming because he really needs help so i'm i'm hoping maybe next year but anyway uh Beeler, this is where we call getting to the root of things. So okay. do you have a least favorite activity to do in the garden? Hmm. I really do think that it's weeding. Um yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's what everyone says, but that yeah, I've just spent so many hours like on my knees weeding like roots fields. Yeah, not not fun for me. I also really don't like pest management i know it's kind of broad but i i don't know why it just annoys me i'm just like come on vegetables why can't you just do this by yourself but but that's i know that's a lot to ask it's just like i'll I'll squish all the cabbage loopers and then i'll be like okay i'm fine and then i go out like a week later and there they all are again Ah. anyway yeah i don't do any of that you don't do any of that (laughs) heck no oh all right truth be told i'm not really the gardener but i don't think my husband does that either like 
I, I've never heard of them. There was one year where we like had some squash bugs and I remember we had to get in there and cut the base of the squash plant open and pull some things out. But like, oh, yeah. like last year I had a big problem with my kale and one of my guests, she's like, well, have you gone out there in the morning and flipped a leaf over and looked? And I was like, I don't think there's any caterpillars. But what I didn't realize was he goes and waters the mini farm in the morning and I go out and do my kale at night. And so mm-hmm. the next day I got up first thing in the morning and went and looked. And sure enough, there's all those green little caterpillars. I just eat the kale anyway with the bites. But what <laughs> I was thinking is like, if we get to the point where we're like going to market, I can't have these bugs on my kale. And they did decimate a lot of my crop. There were quite a few leaves that were even like so far at the end that I couldn't get to. So I finally splurged and bought the beneficial nematodes. Mm -hmm. But then I was talking to Lisa Ziegler and she, I don't know if you know her, she like runs a flower Mm -hmm. farm in Virginia, was like, Jackie, you have to do the row call. She's like, forget the nematodes. She's like, put row cover on as soon as you plant the kale and leave it on all year so that's what i'm going to try next year yeah we do that um on our you know csa production we do a lot of row cover it definitely helps it's i i was thinking of gardening but if we were going to say farm task what's your least favorite i would raise up two hands and say row cover (laughs) i hate it um but it definitely does help so Um, what's what's a challenge with row cover on a farm it's just, uh, you know, working with the length of beds that we have um, and keeping it down in the spring when, like, our farm is a wind tunnel and the wind's just, like, howling through here, um, keeping so keeping all the road cover down. Um, do you just, use sandbags for that, or what do you use to keep it down? Do yeah, tie it yeah. down to stakes, or...? We use stakes and sandbags. The sandbags definitely help. We added that in this year. We were just using stakes the year before. Um, so the sandbags are are great. Yeah, I think I also don't like how it hides the crop from you. I, I know that's kind of nitpicky, um, but it's just nice to see them day by day. It is, however, nice to come out like, you know, after you haven't seen them for three weeks and you've had like a fair amount of rain and great temperatures and then you take up the row cover and you're like, whoa, what happened to you? You're huge. <laughs> so that is fun. Um, rolling it up in the winter um, can be a challenge. Um, also, if you leave it on too long, it can definitely help with, um, or like help fungal pressures move along um, in a, bad way so like for the cauliflower especially um if you have the head coming close to the row cover it can definitely help fungal um pressures like grow on the head the only reason i know about the sandbags actually i was thinking was when i was gonna order tarps for our mini farm last year they all like the website the farmers friends was like you're gonna want these sandbags to go with the tarps and then i think mandy girth talked about that yeah Uh, um, they're definitely a help i would also say um you know even just for the first uh, month of your especially brassica's life um it's really beneficial but then after that a lot of times we rely on either 
hyganic or in trust um, for our plants to get them through the rest of the season. And we take the row cover off just for ease of harvest. And those are like some kind of spray or something? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, they're both sprays in trust. We use specifically, or not specifically, but we use it for our um, flea beetle pressures, which we have quite a bit of. And um, the Pyganic, we use more for um, caterpillars and all of um, the like larval pressures. We also use um, BT, um, Bacillus thuringiensis, for caterpillars specifically. So, what's the best gardening advice you've ever received, Baylor? Um, I think for my own like personal gardening, I think the best advice was like put in a lot of work in the beginning to spare work later and I think that's just the best thing for me because I I like to handle things at once you know like get an amount of time put forth a lot of effort and then not have to worry too much about things later um, that's why I like doing the no dig method for my personal garden because um, you can do a lot of mulching and compost and then after that, you know, you have to do some seeding, um, maybe some pest management, a little bit of weeding, but it's not the intense weeding that I see on the rest of the farm. Cool. Uh, what's your favorite tool? If you had to move and could only take one tool with you, what could you not live without? Um, this is a really simple and not fun answer. But I love just like a small little serrated knife, like those little red Johnny's knives that people have. I actually have one in my pocket right now, just because it's like an all, pur all farm purpose tool. Um, and I have a regular pocket knife that doesn't have a serrated edge, but these little knives with a serrated edge, like if you just want to, it can cut anything, I think. So, yeah. Just I'm going to have to look into those because I got my husband a hoary hoary knife and I thought he was going to love it. But the big challenge I'm noticing is that he doesn't usually wear a belt. So he doesn't have anywhere to put the sheath. And mm -hmm. so it's not with him like it needs to be. So this is something that actually fits in your pocket. Yeah, if you're cool. wearing utility pants and they're like, um, you know, of hardier structure, kind of just like those, you know, the hardier cloth Carhartt pants, something like that. Mm -hmm. I find that it mm -hmm. can't pierce it. Um, and I just keep them in like the little tiny utility pocket. Um, you can also get like a little tiny sheath for it to put onto your belt as well. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just really like them. They're just little plastic serrated knives, but they go everywhere with me. I might have to look into the pants I'm buying him. He just wears Levi's. Yeah. Maybe that's why the Hori Hori is not doing so <laughs> successful either. I, I wish that I um, could just be like I used to in farm and sweatpants, but I can't anymore. Uh, how about a favorite recipe? What do you... Um, so I am from the South 
And even though my family doesn't come from like any great Southern heritage where they're not like really um, connected with it, quote unquote, I do really like to just like cook collard greens and ham hocks. I do it pretty regularly. Um, I grow collard greens for that purpose. And I don't know, it's just, that's my favorite recipe of something that I can just go out and grab a lot of and cook it. And honestly, it can, it can work for a lot of greens, turnip greens, kale. I make a lot with cabbage. I just throw a ham hock in it. Obviously, we have a lot of um, pastured, I mean, sorry, pastured swine that comes out of the farm. So I can just get one of the hocks and throw it in with a bunch of greens and I have like a delicious, hearty, nourishing soup. Hmm. I'm still <laughs> baffled that you eat the pigs that you raise so much, but <laughs> you know, I, each I know. their own. I haven't eaten um, bacon or any of that stuff since I was like 13 and I still love the smell of bacon. I still was like ooing and aahing over my husband's turkey at Thanksgiving and but I don't know why I just uh, have, can't bring myself to eat it but Completely it's funny that the smell still uh, yeah the smell is pretty intoxicating <laughs> and I always told my husband when we first got chickens I was like either I'm going to start eating meat or I'm going to quit eating eggs <laughs> And then right away, I, when I found out, I was like, we don't even, like, these eggs won't even hatch. We don't have a rooster. Like, they're going to lay them anyway. So I never quit eating eggs. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite internet resource? Where do you find yourself? Um, Honestly, YouTube. I'm sure that's a lot of people's answer, but I really do think it's an amazing resource. Um, sure, like, yes. all the information isn't vetted or anything, and sometimes you wind up like you're clicking through a few videos, but you can find some real gems on that. I, I've learned a lot. So how about a specific, got anybody that you really like to file? Because that's what I find. I get really frustrated, like having to flick through too many YouTube channels and especially like YouTube on the TV where you got to do that thing with the alphabet and the arrow keys on my, like I'm not on a keyboard. Mm -hmm. That drives me. Yeah. I really love Charles Dowding. He's just such a pleasant person and he has such direct pointed videos. Um, I don't find that there's a lot of fluff. He's just like really gives you the information that you want. Um, and nice. he has such like a, a beautiful little market garden. Um, so yeah, that would definitely be my go-to and has been my go-to. Cool. How about a favorite reading material? Do you have a book you can recommend? Hmm. Um, if anyone was like, if anyone's ears pricked up when I was, whenever I was talking about pastured pigs, um, the book "Happy Pigs Taste Better," which I know may be offensive, but um, <laughs> it, it's a it's a really great resource. Um, let me get the author's name. Um, the author is Alice Percy. The book was right next to my bed, so I just grabbed it. Um, so for pigs, that would be my take, I mean, my pick for that. Um, and sorry to be redundant, but for books, 
Charles Dowding has a really nice book on no, no dig gardening as well. Not redundant at all. I didn't know that. I'll have to look yeah. into that. Yeah. Um, our bookstore here just started carrying it. And I was like, oh, wow. I'm definitely like keeping that on my bedside. Cool. Uh, well, we're at my final question, which is kind of a doozy, Baylor. If there's one change you'd like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? Yeah, I so I looked at that question and I was like, oh man, oh man, that's a lot. Um, but I also really love it. And I, I just hope I don't ramble too much. So please let me know because um, I have a lot of... Well, no worries. I have an interview starting at noon. So you've got like six minutes. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. I love it. Um, so... Obviously, I'm biased. I um, think that the work we're doing here at Rodale Institute is really great, especially um, addressing regenerative agriculture and its possibility to sequester more carbon. Um, I also have just like a desire to see agricultural spaces be um, more diverse and that definitely pertains to the farmers, um, but also to just the landscape. Um, and I think that if we address a lot of issues on like food waste and productivity um, around and consumption and market around like our agricultural systems, we can find space to create more like woodlines and meadows and healthy pasture, things like that, instead of just looking at agricultural spaces as lots of row crops. Because um, as beautiful as like a really pasture, I mean, really patchwork row crop field can be, I feel like it's more dead in a way than something that's really diverse and um, holds a lot of different organisms and space for wildlife and space for just more beauty as well. Um, so yeah, I think that's my big thing. You know what's interesting? I realized this summer is that when people come to visit our place that, so we have 20 acres, but there's only like, you know, our house and like the mini farm, I guess is only like a 10th of an acre. I always thought it was like a quarter or a third. My friend Patty came up and she's like, that's like a 10th of an acre. She's like, that's not very big at mm -hmm. all. Cause I was asking her like, do you think we could go to market someday? And she's like, not to you plant all of it. <laughs> like she just was like, this all needs to be food. And she's like, you're not even close. So, but, but there's the rest of the 20 acres and what i realized is like when people come up here i had some other like some of the kids i taught and just different families come visit this summer and i was like what i need to do is take everybody on this like little nature walk because mike has built me like these little paths where i can cross-country ski and hike and walk through the woods of our property and then and then come back and at the end be at the mm. garden and then show them the garden. I don't know if that has anything to do with what yeah, you said. No, but it, anyway, yeah. Beeler, thank you so much for sharing with of us course. today. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And thanks for having this podcast. Oh, oh thanks. 
Uh, and how do listeners connect with you? Like if they wanted to reach out and ask a question, is there anywhere they can um, find you? Oddly for a millennial, what did you call us earlier? Rockstar, Rockstar millennials. millennials. Um, oddly for a millennial, I'm not on any social media, um, but I have an email. So if you ever want to reach out by email, it's just um, Baylor, B-A-Y-L-O-R dot Lanston, L-A-N-S-D-E-N at gmail.com. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much my contact. I just finished one of the best books I've read all year and it was about a girl who didn't have any social media either it's pretty interesting yeah she was also a millennial i never got on the train really and now i almost think like it's too late oh (laughs) no i feel like it's definitely not too late but you're probably right i just feel like i'm so afraid of the learning curve i'm like oh man i don't even know i don't know i had to give social media a break from about august till the election and then I've just oh, gotten back into it and kind of trying to figure that whole piece out. So even after all this time, um, yeah, but it's definitely not too late. I mean, look at TikTok. It just started and it's taken off like crazy. And like, you know, it right. still has just a tiny audience, but yet it has a huge audience. <laughs> yeah. You know, so no, I don't think you're too late, but if you don't want to, no worries. Cool. Well, thank you, Baylor. You have a wonderful day and thank you so much for all you do and dropping tons of golden seeds. And I know listeners are going to love this and um, keep on being a rock star millennial. And uh, I'll let you know when it's live. Awesome. Thank you so much for the interview. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. Bye. Join Patty Armbruster and I for Grow Live on YouTube Live Saturday mornings coming to you in 2021 we'll be answering your questions we'll be um laughing and sharing information that you want to know because they're going to be answers to your questions on youtube live saturday mornings 11 a.m eastern 10 a.m central 9 a.m montana standard time and 8 a.m pacific send us your questions you can submit them at the organic podcast.com forward slash patty you can email me at orgpodcast at gmail.com. You can send them to Mike's Green Garden at gmail.com. Ask Patty Live. Grow Live with Jackie and Patty. We'll be answering your questions. What do you need to know to grow healthy food in your garden? Hey, listeners, have you been to Growers.co, James Fortier's newest venture? He's got an amazing magazine featuring the inspiring farmers who have followed in his footsteps, taken his classes, put his practices into work that he's highlighting in a great printed magazine. He's got tools that he's designed that he's developed from um, looking at tools around the world while he did his book tour that just he uses on his farm. I mean, it's amazing the information on his website. You can learn about how to use these tools. They're totally affordable. I'm telling you the Canadian exchange is great right now. Um, and farmware that's stylish, it's comfortable, but most of all, it's practical for working in the garden. I know one of my biggest barriers was garden shoes. He's got boots, coats, Um, And you definitely want to get a small scale farmers are changing the world t-shirt either for yourself, get one for your favorite CSA or farmer market vendor. It'll make them feel good. It'll make you feel good. 
and support growers.co. That man has changed our world for the better. He's been so generous with his time, his energy, and um, deserving of uh, uh, your shopping dollars. So growers.co. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening, and remember, grow local.